Hello, you are listening to The Wellness Project with Des. I'm your host, Desiree, a mental health therapist and holistic wellness coach. On my podcast, I interview experts in the field of mental health and wellness, as well as those who share their firsthand accounts of their mental health journeys. These interviews will give you many tips, tools, and strategies to improve your mental health, as well as give you hope, support, encouragement, and inspiration on your own personal mental health and wellness journey. Thanks so much for being here. I would greatly appreciate it if you took a moment to leave me a review on iTunes and leave the podcast five stars on Spotify. It really helps the podcast to grow, which in turn helps me to keep bringing on amazing guests and spreading mental health and wellness education and support. And make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. You are listening to episode 141, and on today's episode, I speak with Danielle Shea. She is a healing coach for sexual abuse survivors. Now, before we get started, I do want to give a bit of a trigger warning here. This episode is all about sexual abuse, all about sexual assault, so this may be triggering for some. We do not get into details about sexual assault, but it is the topic for today. If you feel that you may be triggered, please skip this episode. There's plenty of other episodes that you can listen to. For those of you that are sticking around, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here with me today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation with Danielle. I love speaking with Danielle. I was a podcast guest on her podcast. We've connected quite a bit. She's such a great person to speak with. I love the work that she's doing in this world. Not only is Danielle going to share her own personal story, of her sexual assault, but she's going to share how that led to where she is today, supporting others that have experienced sexual trauma. She's going to give us many tips, strategies. She's going to walk us through some exercises. This is going to be such a great conversation. I'm really glad that you're here with me for it. This is something that a lot of people experience and it's not really talked about enough. So I'm glad that you are here for this conversation. Please help me welcome Danielle. Hi, Danielle. I'm so excited to have you here with me today. Hi, it's so good to be here. I'm so happy to be on your show and just continue to have the conversations that we've been having, um, you know, offline and just to be able to connect with you and your audience and, and be here today. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I love chatting with you. So for those of you who don't know, I was recently on Danielle's show. We've been collaborating and chatting a bunch, which has been really, really amazing. So I I love chatting with you. I feel like I could talk with you forever. Our conversations always go like so long and I'm like, oh, I can have this go forever. So, so great. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation because it's an important one and it's one that I feel like we don't talk about enough. So to get us started, I would love if you can introduce yourself, tell us your story, where you've come from, how you got to where you are today. Yeah, definitely. And the feeling is mutual for sure. So uh, my name is Danielle Shea and I am a healing coach for sexual assault survivors. And so just everyone listening, kind of want you to take a big deep breath into that. You know, the things that we're going to talk about today, they might feel heavy, but I'm not about talking all about the trauma. You know, we're here to have fun. We're here to heal. We're here to live a joyful and fulfilled life. And that is exactly what I help my clients all over the world do is live a joyful and fulfilled life. That's what I want everyone to be able to do. I got into this business like many of us in this kind of space, you know, in mental health and and just helping others because I needed the help myself. So 
I am a sexual abuse survivor, um, but I don't like that word. We're thrivers here. My clients are thrivers. If you've experienced this, like you are a thriver, that's because we want to live a joyful and fulfilled life, right? Like I don't want to survive. I want to thrive. I started this business because I wanted to help people the way that I was helped and also was not helped, right? Like I created everything just so I could be the the light at the end of someone else's tunnel. You know, my story starts back in early 2013. I was at a college party and I was drugged. And then the next morning I found out what had happened to me, but I thought it was my fault. And I apologized and I had a boyfriend at the time. I called him, told him I had cheated on him. And it was just this story of self-blame and self-hate and because I thought that it was my fault. And this is such a huge narrative in the sexual abuse space where we're victimized not only during the actual abuse, but also afterwards. And, you know, I didn't have people telling me that it was my fault. It was me telling me it was my fault. And that's because of all of the just inundation that we get that, you know, survivors aren't believed. And so I walked my healing journey and it was arduous and rock bottom is always a lot farther down than you think it is. And so I just clawed my way back up there with a lot of support, a lot of help. And I recognized the privilege that I had not only in my abuse, which sounds really weird, but also in my healing. Like I had a great support system. I had access to therapy. I had access to the tools that were going to allow me to heal and many people don't have that. And so for a long time, I thought, well, who am I to speak up and tell my story? Because I did have so much privilege around my abuse and around my healing. Then finally, one day, I just kind of got this download that said, it's time for you to tell your story. And I was really hesitant at first. I was like, no, don't want to do that. Not going to do that. And then finally realized, yeah, you're right. It's time for me to tell my story, not be in the shadows because I have the privilege to have a voice and I had that support system, I know what other people need. I felt like it's my turn to rise up to help other people rise up. And so now here we are a year later talking to you. <laughs> oh, amazing. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And it's really hard to put yourself out there and be that vulnerable and push against those societal stories just those narratives that we get so trapped in. And so I really appreciate the work you do. I think it's amazing. I think it's so, so important and helpful that you help empower people and to help them to thrive. I would love if you can share whether your personal experience or what you're seeing with your clients, but how sexual trauma can actually impact a person's mental health and mm -hmm. their overall well-being. I mean, it affects it in every capacity. It is a type of trauma that really affects you on every kind of level, but also that is told to shut up, sit down and sweep that under the rug because we're not going to tell anybody that it happened because it's shameful that it happened to you, putting quotes around that. And it's also shameful to talk about it. And for many people, you know, my story happened with someone that I had met that night, but for others, it's family members. It's people who are supposed to be taking care of you and looking out for you. And so that's continuing a cycle of abuse, especially if it happens within the family. 
I have many clients who say, well, you know, my parent swept it under the rug because they swept it under the rug because it had happened to them or it was happening to them in the family. And then it was also happening to their children and their children's children. And it just was this continuous cycle. And so it really affects you on every single level, but it also affects you with your perspective and your mindset. If you are someone who wants to be an entrepreneur and run a business or even climb the corporate ladder and you're trying to go out there and build something for yourself and maybe serve and give back to others because you want the world to be better, but it affects you in the the negative self-talk and keeping you stuck and it really perpetuates that cycle of trauma. And so it affects you mentally, it affects you physically, it affects you emotionally. The great and amazing news is that there are ways to fix that and there's ways to heal and move through that. But this is such an insidious type of trauma because it hits, it ticks every single box. And because it was so physical and intimate, it disrupts your trust in others and in yourself. It disrupts your ability to, you know, really define relationships with others and with yourself. And it also affects intimate relationships, even if you've gotten to a healed version of yourself. It can affect intimate relationships, you know, when you want to be enjoying certain pleasures in life. That, again, just perpetuates that mental health and that that psyche because then you really develop this negative self-talk of I'm worthless, I'm a POS, I don't deserve to heal, I don't deserve anything good happening in my life. And you really begin to kind of create that experience for yourself as well. And that's what happened to me. You know, I didn't care what happened to my body. And so I put myself in very, very dangerous situations after my first abuse, which led to other abuse. I was able to, you know, kind of recognize certain things, but I was trying to reclaim my power, but that's not what it led to. It just led to even more dangerous situations and hating myself until that day when I realized, okay, I can't live like this anymore. We have to change something. So it really affects everything. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd like to talk a little bit more to dig into a little bit of how you're seeing that sexual trauma impacts relationships, whether Mm -hmm. a romantic partner, guardians, parents, uh, friendships, what are you seeing? Yeah, that's a really good question. They're similar and and different. So let's take Let's take a, a romantic relationship. Many of my clients worry, even if they're in a, a healthy relationship, worry that they're never going to be able to be enough for their partner. And there's always this kind of little bit of like, can it happen to me again? Even if it didn't happen like in an intimate relationship with someone. And so they really worry like, will I ever be able to experience the type of love that you see on a movie screen or the type of love that my friends are experiencing, it really keeps people either in a cycle where they are continuing to choose people who do not choose them back. So either continuing to choose being in abusive relationships because that feels familiar, because that feels safe, because that feels like that's the only love that they deserve because they know how to handle that situation. And then it kind of perpetuates different traumas and not really taking that time to kind of 
not isolate because we definitely don't want to isolate human beings. We're meant to be communicative creatures. We are meant to engage with others just for survival, but also for thriving. But taking that time to really kind of self-identify, okay, what do I need? What are my habits? What are my behaviors that are keeping me being attracted to the same type of person? And then there's also that sense of relationship with your with yourself, which also goes into like the familial relationships, the friendships, and the romantic relationships is that trust factor that I talked about earlier. If you don't trust yourself, you're definitely not going to trust others. What I see is that many of my clients or just even people that I have conversations with is they don't trust themselves to make good decisions anymore because they've been making poor decisions in order to cope. So for my own story, and I always tell people this is a no judgment space because whatever you had to do to heal, I probably had to do it too. You know, I turned to drugs, I turned to alcohol, I turned to sex, I turned to all of the things because I wanted to destroy myself. But then also once I started kind of on the path of healing, I went, well, Danielle makes not so great decisions. <laughs> And she chooses not so great coping mechanisms. So how can I trust myself to choose good relationships or choose good friendships or or choose something that is going to be beneficial for me? And so it's really developing that that relationship back with yourself as well. Yeah, no, you bring up a really great point that that self-trust is so important. It's so hard. It's so hard to get there. So I'd love if we could mm. shift the conversation into that kind of how we can begin to thrive where, where you get to the, yeah. someone gets to the point where, like you said, you I can't do this anymore. I'm recognizing these patterns. Like what's the next step? How can somebody begin that healing journey, that process? It, it seems very overwhelming. Where can somebody start? Mm. Yes. Yes. And I love, love, love talking about this because this is the part this is the fun part. Um, it's hard and it's not always fun, but the outcome is enjoyable and exciting and getting to that place in your life where maybe you don't feel like you can actually get there at this moment. And so first, what I want to say and address is that wherever you are right now, that's okay. And you can start your healing journey wherever you are. I think sometimes we hear that and go, Okay, but I'm a garbage human being. So you're lying to me. But if I can heal, you can heal. And there are so many other stories of people healing. And I don't say that to kind of like rub it into anyone's face, but it's kind of a nice way to take a deep breath and go, okay, others have gone through this, which means that I can too. And just allowing yourself to embrace that community of I can too. There's many different ways that we can start and it really is going to be unique for each person because each person's story is different. Each person's relationship with themselves is different. Each person's negative self-talk with themselves is different. It's also based off of, you know, your perspective on yourself, your experience and others, right? One thing that kept me stuck is because I, my perspective was, well, I don't have anything to say or share because other people have it worse than me. And while that may be true that other people have it worse than me, that doesn't mean that my voice is any less important. So we have these kind of insidious ways to, to keep ourselves stuck. One of the things that is really important is developing self-awareness. And that can feel really scary and overwhelming because 
well, I don't like myself. I don't want to know myself. There's an experience that you have of that disassociation from the body that happens basically immediately from your abuse. I always tell people, it's like, no, I don't want to live there anymore. Like I don't live in my body anymore. Gross. I think we hear a lot about like somatic healing and positive affirmations and, you know, ultimate self-love and all those things are great. But if you don't believe that you're worthy of that, they're not going to help you. And so we have to really reverse engineer, okay, where do you need right now? And so that a lot of that is, is self-awareness. So journaling is a really great modality to kind of ask yourself, okay, what do I like? What do I not like? And those things are constantly going to change and they're constantly going to evolve. A really great tool that I help my clients through is identifying what their triggers are and identifying what their trauma response is. If you don't know how you're even responding to things, like you're going to think and tell yourself that you are overreacting, that you're out of control. And that in itself feels very triggering as well. So if you'd like, we can go through that exercise together of like understanding your trigger. That would be amazing. Yeah. I call this like kind of investigative triggering. Um, Basically, what we're going to do is put on our journalistic hats or our data analysis hats, whichever term makes you feel most powerful. And we're basically going to who, what, when, where, why a recent trigger. And I'll walk you through a story and then an example to be able to really understand what we mean. So what I want you to do is I want you to think of, you know, a a recent trigger or something that, um, you know, you've kind of healed from already. Like if this is like your first time doing a healing exercise, we don't want to do something super fresh when we're learning something new, because then that feels way too overwhelming. So think of a tr- something that has triggered you in the past, but isn't going to trigger you in this moment, if that makes sense. And then we're going to start asking ourselves things like who, what, when, where, and why. And we're going to start to identify and data mine where that trigger is coming from. Because if we don't know what's causing the trigger, then we can't start to actually mend those neural pathways or, you know, create new neural pathways and give our brain new memories to say, okay, this, I'm actually safe now. The story that I always give is like a year or so after my abuse, I went to a department store and I was walking in the store and I needed to buy deodorant. So the walk to the deodorant aisle, grabbed deodorant, picked it up, opened the top, was smelling it put it back down. I was just doing that. It was like a Tuesday at 2 PM. And then as I'm doing that, a man walks by me. He looks at the deodorant, picks it up, puts it in his basket, walks away. I lose it. I'm just utterly now unconsolable. I have to leave everything that I've been shopping for. I make sure I have like my belongings and I run to my station wagon. I get into the front seat realize I am in no safe way to drive. So I climb into the backseat, curl up in a ball and I just cry. I don't know how long I cried for. It could have been 20 minutes, could have been two hours. All I know that it was light outside and then it was dark outside when I finally was able to realize that I can now drive back to my apartment. Well, in that moment, I didn't know what was triggering me. I didn't understand what had happened to make me have such an intense reaction. 
And therefore my negative self-talk, which is what kept me curled up in that ball for so long was you're such a POS and a garbage human being. You're always going to be like this. You're never going to be able to heal. I can't believe you were just in a department store. It's just, you were getting deodorant. Like what a, what a small and meaningless task. You can't even do that. You're never going to be able to do anything you ever want to do in life ever again. Right. And that's the talk that happens. And it all stemmed from the fact that I didn't know why I had been triggered in the first place. When I had created this, this like data mining tool, I did this exercise for myself and realized why I was triggered. And then this tool just became so powerful. And now I try to teach it to as many people as possible. What we do is we set the scene. We tell you, tell yourself the story. Okay. What happened? And then now we're going to go through that. Who, what, when, where, why? And not all the information is going to feel pertinent or important, but what we're looking for is what is the thing that caused that trigger? Where was I? I was in a store, you know, it was 2 p.m. on a Tuesday. My assault happened at night. Daytime was usually fine for me. Um, So that doesn't feel important. Okay, who was involved? A random dude who I've never seen before. He didn't look like my perpetrator. You know, that had been happening to me a lot where I would see someone who looked like my perpetrator and immediately flashbacks would come in. My PTSD would come back and, you know, unconsolable again. But I knew why that was happening. So those usually didn't last as long. Why was I there? Buying deodorant. Okay. None of these are feeling very important. Then what was I doing? Okay. Well, I was smelling deodorant. And that's the thing that we're looking for is what were you doing? What sense was activated? Okay. I was smelling something. And so it was none of the deodorants. It wasn't their fault because I was just smelling the same deodorants I buy all the time. That's not the issue. But what was happening is that man who walked by me was wearing the same cologne that my perpetrator had worn. And so I got flashbacks and was unconsolable, but I didn't realize why I was having that reaction because I didn't do the work in order to figure out what the trigger was. And so you can find your trigger when you start to notice what sense was involved because our senses, those are the things that trigger memories. Those are the things that bring forth that trigger into your mind that are causing those flashbacks because our senses are connected to memories. That's the thing that makes our brain so beautiful, but also so uncomfy sometimes is because they do bring up memories. And so once I figured out, oh my gosh, it was because of that cologne. Now, all of a sudden I have a reason. Now, all of a sudden I'm not a garbage human being for having those emotions. There's an actual tangible reason for having that. And when it happened again, I could go, okay, I'm feeling unsafe. Oh my gosh, wait, 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 what's happening? Okay. That smell is really familiar. That smell feels unsafe, but I am in this moment and safe. What am I doing? And then going into some grounding exercises and making myself feel safe in that moment. But when you don't know why it's happening, You fill in the gaps for why it shouldn't have happened and why you're the worst person ever when really there's a reason. And now, okay, now you have something for the path of healing. That's a really powerful exercise. I think that's a way that can really help people feel so empowered just to recognize again, that self-awareness and to do those grounding exercises to realize in this moment, I am safe. Do you have any other kind of advice or ways that people healing from sexual trauma can feel more empowered? Yeah. So 
one of the biggest things, and I know you're not going to want to hear this, especially if you're in the beginning stages of your healing is connecting to your body. There's this really wonderful exercise that I started doing when I was going through, you know, a pretty rough time in my life. It wasn't, you know, related to this specific trauma, but I was feeling very out of control and that out of controlled feeling always triggers the same kind of reactions and emotions that I felt when I was, you know, going through my own healing from sexual abuse. And so I call this practice the self-adoration practice. It can be a very simple, but it can feel very scary to do at first. It can also feel very silly. So a lot of like connecting to your body can feel very silly. You're like, why am I doing this? but it is so powerful. And so I started doing this self-adoration practice and within a week, the perspective of my body, the appreciation of my body utterly changed. And that started to cause a ripple effect in how I saw myself, how I thought about myself, and then how I showed up in the world, which started to change my experience and my perspective as well. And so some really small exercises are really the game-changing powerful tool. Like it's not some epiphany. It's doing something small consistently that feels accessible to you. The self-adoration practice goes like this. I always did it before bed because that's just when it felt most safe and comfortable for myself. You can do it prior to a shower and you can even do this instead of using your hands, which I'm going to invite you to do. You can use it, you know, using a different tool like dry brushing or even if you like use a loofah in the shower or something. But basically what you're going to do is you're just going to lightly touch your entire body. Start at your head, start at your toes, you know, whatever feels good, wherever feels clean. And all you're going to do is you're just kind of going to slightly like maybe brush the top of your head or brush your eyebrows, brush behind your ears, in between your fingers. And slowly, softly, and lovingly say the words, I love myself. And it's going to feel uncomfortable. It's going to feel silly. It's going to feel like, why am I doing this? But then as you kind of get into that movement, what it becomes is this very loving, moving meditation It allows you to use things like affirmations, which are really powerful. It allows things to use touch, which allow you to feel safe with your own touch because a lot of us don't feel safe being touched by others, but we also don't feel safe being touched by ourselves and that can be triggering. So it allows you to get your body in a nice, relaxive state while incorporating touch and incorporating your sound of your voice, incorporating just a bunch of different senses, taking nice, big, deep breaths, and you just start and you go through your whole body. And I'm talking on your elbows, in between your toes, on your feet. Don't forget your feet. Your feet are very important. Going around your entire body, not in a sexual way whatsoever, in a very just loving, I'm a human being. I'm here right now. My own skin is safe. I am safe and I love myself. And I invite you to do that for a week and see how that perspective changes the way you view yourself, the way you look at yourself in the mirror, the way you talk about yourself. I love that. And kind of piggybacking off of that exercise. So you mentioned that, you know, all of this negative self-talk, that kind of story that I'm a, you know, POS and that self-blame, that shame. So what can self-love look like for survivors? Mm, That's such a, such a good question because it looks, it definitely looks different and it looks 
slow. It looks like accessibility. And so what I mean by that is I want you to ask yourself this really powerful question, which is what feels accessible to me right now? Because, and the reason why I say that this is equated to self-love is because we often try to rush through life and rush through everything, especially if you are a very intelligent human being and you got a bunch of degrees, or even if you don't got a bunch of degrees, but you, you know, you are really good at what you do and you're really good at your job, or you're just a human just living, right? (laughs) You got a lot of things to do. And we often push ourselves to the extent that we lose our self-awareness, even if we haven't experienced this specific type of trauma, but we lose our self-awareness because we're like, well, I can't eat. I have to keep working or I, I'm going to hold going to the bathroom because I, you know, I'm a nurse or I'm a teacher or I'm, you know, you're someone in a position that you have to choose something else over those things. The question is now, when does that become so overwhelming and when does that become actually something that's negative to and a detriment to your health, your mental health, your emotional and physical health as well. So that's for others. But for, you know, people who have experienced sexual abuse, that accessibility starts like right away. Like nothing feels accessible. It feels very overwhelming. You don't even want to live in your own body. So why do you want to do anything else? You know, especially things that you might be responsible for. It's like, there are so many other more important things that I should be doing, right? Your perspective just shifts. You're like, why do I have to write this report? The thing that I invite, you know, people who have experienced this type of trauma to do is ask yourself the question, what feels accessible and actually listen to your body and to your mind and what that's saying, what feels accessible might be closing your laptop and closing your eyes for five minutes. What feels accessible might be taking three deep breaths. It might be going outside. It might be finally taking that shower. It might be going to the bathroom. It might be making yourself lunch. Then after you do that thing that feels accessible, ask yourself the question again, what feels accessible right now? And it might be to just continue to do the thing that you're doing or your next task might feel more doable. And what this does, it allows you to build back that self-awareness and that self-trust within yourself because you're literally having a conversation with yourself and then responding. What feels accessible, you do that thing. And then you keep going. And, you know, maybe you stop asking yourself after five times, but maybe it's the question you ask yourself all day long. And that's the thing that allows you to get through the day or enjoy the day or, you know, do the things that are on your to-do list. And starting with that, and I think that self-love starts that way for survivors because, again, like I said, you're building that self awareness and that self-trust that was, you know, broken due to the abuse. Oh, great. Yeah. I love that. Asking that question, what feels accessible right now? So important. And I feel like something that we kind of forget and Mm -hmm. don't really ask ourselves. Like you said, we just kind of go through our days and ignore our very basic needs and those small acts of self-love. So yeah, great. Thank you for sharing that. One other thing I want to touch on is support. I feel like something that happens with people that are going through specifically sexual trauma is this isolation. So how important do you think social supports are for, or a social system, a support system are for survivors of sexual assault? It is the thing. 
there is no way I would have healed if it wasn't for my support system. Because like I said at the beginning, I thought it was my fault. The only reason I came to realize that it wasn't was because people were telling me what had happened to me. People who weren't even there, but I was telling my story and they would go, so Danielle, let's potentially consider um, that you had nothing to do with that, right? And then they were the ones telling me where to get additional support and, and how to keep going and, and how to just frankly live, right? Like to, to choose that I wanted to be here still. So it really is everything. And all of my clients, whether they're just starting to work with me or, you know, they've been working with me for a while, it is the biggest thing that they say has been the thing that has allowed them to heal is their support system. And support can look like so many different things. It can look like YouTube videos, podcasts, books. It can look like people in your family or your friends. It can look like a coach, a counselor, a therapist. With the beauty of being online, like we have the ability to connect with so many people and it can look like a support group. It can look like, you know, a meetup. It can look like the people at the gym that you go to that, you know, they notice when you don't show up because you go at the same time every day. It's that connection that really allows you to feel like one, it's worth sticking around Two, you're worth it in general. Like you're just a worthy human being, but then also it gives you something to continue to, to choose and look forward to, right? Like if you've ever been to therapy and you like your therapist, like you're showing up because you like your therapist, <laughs> like you might want not want to have to do the hard work that day. But you're showing up because you like that. And same thing like with my coaching, like my clients, I like them, which is why I want to show up for them. And they like me, which is why they want to show up for me. And so, you know, the healing happens in companionship. And when we can understand that, that allows us to kind of, again, ease into, okay, who does feel safe? Who does feel trustworthy? Who does feel like someone that I can connect with in this way? And so- like I said before, it might be listening to a podcast. It might be, you know, listening to a book or, or a YouTube video going, okay, this person understands. And then giving yourself the confidence to continue to ask for help and move forward. But don't heal in a silo. Do not isolate yourself. As someone who very thoroughly isolated herself for too long, I can tell you that the real healing happened when I invited other people to allow me to walk alongside them. Oh, great. I I love that. I could not agree more. Danielle, this has been so amazing. Do you have any last words of wisdom or one thing that you would like survivors to know? Yeah. I want you to know that it is not your fault, that I believe you, that I am you, and that healing is possible. I really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and all these ways that people can heal and not only heal, but thrive. So important. I so appreciate you. And I know that our listeners are going to get so much out of this conversation and I would love for them to be able to find you. Can you share where everyone can find you? Yes, that is so awesome. And it's been such a 
privilege to be here today. Thank you so much. I just love every conversation that we have. So you can find me at www.danielleshea.blog. That's D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E-S-H-E-A.B-O-L-G. And also on social media at Danielle Shea blog or at Danielle Shea Co. And you'll find just kind of some free goodies for you there and ways to connect, ways to find support and help in whatever way feels accessible for you. Perfect. And I will have all of those links in the show notes. Everyone go check out Danielle. Danielle, thank you again. Thank you, Desiree. I really hope that you liked this episode and gained a lot of value from it. If you did like this episode, please share it on social media. You can tag me at The Wellness Project with Des on Instagram and at According to Des on Facebook. If you do enjoy my podcast and gain value from it, I would greatly appreciate your support. You can show your love and support by buying me a coffee. This will help my podcast to grow and in turn will help me to keep bringing on amazing guests. You can go to buymeacoffee.com slash The Wellness Project with Des to show your support. All books written by or recommended by my amazing podcast guests are listed on my Amazon storefront. Go to the link in the show notes to check out those books. I would love to extend an invite to you to become a part of my community. You can do this through Facebook where we will be discussing this episode. I would love for you to share your insights, any aha moments, any thoughts or ideas you would like to contribute. You can contribute in the discussion taking place in my Facebook group and it's a great place to connect with me because I am in there every day with mental health and wellness content, discussions, reflections, journal prompts. It's a fun and supportive place to be. You can find the group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash according to Des and that link will also be in the show notes. You can also check out more of what I'm doing on my website according to Des.com. You'll find a lot of wellness blogs, written interviews, detailed podcast show notes, and my shop where you will be able to find workshops, my self-care course, digital downloads, ebooks. There's a lot going on on my website. So make sure you check that out at accordingtodes.com. And while you're there, join my email list to stay in the know about what I have going on and available for you. When you sign up, you will get your free ebook, The Five Stress Reduction Techniques to Help You Feel More Relaxed. Thank you so much for being here. I will talk to you next week. So until then, I hope you have a calm and peaceful week.